Hello and welcome to another episode of the Warhorse Journal podcast. In this special episode, we are thrilled to introduce you to a remarkable horsewoman, advocate and founder of Copper Horse Crusade, Julie Copper. Julie's passion and dedication to rescuing horses from the slaughter pipeline made a profound impact on the equine community. Julie formed a 501c3 named Copper Horse Crusade, and they are on a mission to save and rehabilitate horses in dire need. Join us today as we delve into Julie's inspiring story, her unwavering commitment to these noble animals. Get ready to be moved by the incredible work of Copper Horse Crusade. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Julie. We are so happy to have you on the War Horse Journal podcast. Hi, thank you. I'm proud to be a part of that. Glad that you chose us to participate. So, Julie... I was reading the article that you sent to me, and I would kind of like to start the podcast off kind of the way that article started off. So could you tell me about the auction that your family went to where they bought your brother a buckskin horse? Get into what did you see, feel, and experience there that day that led you to create a rescue? So that would have been probably 25 years ago. My family moved up from Longview, Texas, and uh, my brother wanted a bucking horse, which I think most of us know now that buying a horse for color is about the last thing that you want to uh, base your decision off of. But we had been told by someone, we brought four horses up with us from Texas, maybe a farrier had told us about uh, Sugar Creek, which was an auction up in Amish country, Ohio. And so we went to that when I was probably 13, 14 years old. And they did end up buying a buckskin horse that was ridden through the ring by a dealer. Uh, The horse ended up being a little bit lame, and she also kicked at people. So uh, I think it's a a good reminder or a good intro to the auction to remember that not as all as it appears. Um, Mm -hmm. But... What caught my attention was not so much the horses that were going through the ring by either private sellers or dealers, but the pens and pens of loose horses that were in the back of the auction house, and there was no information about those horses. Um, You know, it would depend on the size of the pen, but 5, 10, 15, 20 horses to a pen, and they really didn't have any info or anything other than what you could look through and decipher for yourself. Watching those horses go through the auction, and that auction in particular was really fast as far as the horses, the kill horses went through fast. I mean, they typically weren't even in the ring 10 seconds. A lot of those horses went to kill buyers. A few of them went to private buyers, but um, it was just uh, quite an experience to see that there were a lot of good horses, viable horses going through that ended up with kill buyers and maybe shouldn't have. Uh, Sugar Creek is in Sugar Creek, Ohio. It's in Amish country. That's actually the name of the town. Really starting from the time I, I started pulling some horses when I was about 15 from there, 15, 16, off and on through high school and then had two sons, went back to school and college and that kind of thing, and then started Copper Horse Crusade in 2010. But those years from kind of 
high school to 2010, uh, there were a lot of horses that went through Sugar Creek, and, and that was really all the places that I was able to pull horses from, or all the horses I pulled from were from Sugar Creek. That continued through 2017, 18, 19, then a gradual tapering off of horses going to slaughter, which is great. But then also the Sugar Creek Livestock Auction changed hands and um, not for the better. So when that changed hands, we really quit going there and I am able to catch the horses itself at Kilbire uh, a little farther downstream without actually having to go to that particular auction anymore, which I'm incredibly grateful for. Copper Horse Crusade. How did that become official? So it really became critical for me to find something to do with the horses. We sort of incorporated and did paperwork and kind of, it was a little bit of the uh, cart before the proverbial horse, but we got it more organized in 2010 and got our non profit and everything set up sometime I think around 2011, 2012. So it, it was kind of a necessity. So that all happened 13 years ago or so. What are the main challenges that you face when you're operating a horse rescue? I know a lot goes into it. And how do you and your team overcome those obstacles? I think you'd have to almost break down the obstacles into categories. I think one of the, the biggest obstacles that we're currently facing is that we're really seeing a decline in horsemanship, mm. um, in people being able to train or maintain horses. And so horses that we put through our program that have 30, 60 90 days of training are going out and people are riding them once a week or once a month and not maintaining any kind of groundwork or training. And so we end up with those people calling us and saying, this horse is having this issue or that. So um, recently, people that are either unrealistic in their expectations or don't want to maintain the work that goes into keeping a horse tuned up or ridden, those might be the biggest obstacles. But certainly there are are plenty of obstacles that are involved with equine welfare. Hmm. You should uh, tell them about the War Horse Endurance Challenges. That makes people ride more often. Yeah. Well, we all need an excuse to ride more often. So. Yeah, that's the the group I called you about. We are, um, there's probably about 4,000 people on that Facebook group, but there's like a, a hardcore group of maybe 400 people that we encourage each other and we have real rewards to give people. And I've heard back from so many people that having that 100 mile goal or 100 hour goal, whichever they pick, it makes them go, oh, right, I, want to get, I wanted to get that done this month. And it makes them go out and ride. Great. But, you know, I mean, I personally have looked up from a week of work or two weeks of work and gone like I didn't ride mm-hmm. and wondering why. So I think that having that challenge and having that support helps and, and you know, right. their horse can sit for a month and then go out for a five hour ride or something is just not fair to the horse. Right. I think people struggle with motivation in general. Mm-hmm. Um everybody's kind of tired and spread thin and so mm-hmm. um it definitely takes it definitely takes commitment to say i am going to 
maintain this relationship with my horse. I am going to be involved and consistent, and uh, hopefully we can develop together and get somewhere that we both want to be. I have found amazing things from just 15 minutes at a time, you know, because it it used to be in my head. I don't know if it was just old school, but it used to be in my head. If I'm going out there, I better be ready to have two hours to do this. You know, I better groom everything completely before and after, work them for an hour and whatever. But you know, truthfully, you can go out there 15 minutes, get them ready, ride them for fi- ride them for 15 minutes. That's a mile. If you did that every day, you know, you'd have 30 miles at the end of the month. I'm getting off track, so I will ask you the next question. <laughs> Sorry. That's my pet peeve. So could you briefly describe the process of what you go through when you rescue a horse from intake to rehabilitation and finding them a suitable home? And if I'm looking at a pen of 20 or 30 horses, you know, we go in and obviously the ones that have injuries or are blind or have some obvious ailment um, are not at the top of our list. We're really looking for the viable horses that we can transition into homes. Um, So we're looking for a horse that is reasonably sound and has to be approachable, you know, decent on the ground. We go through an entire checklist of, can I catch you? Can I halter you? Can I pick up your feet? Do you back up nicely when I ask you to? Can I touch your ears? All of those kind of things. uh, That's kind of the initial take on the horse. And then if the horse passes all of those things, we'll get them out of the pen, trot them down the aisle way to see if they are sound. And then after that box, we go to the next box to check. And that is, you know, do you take a bridle? Do you take a rider? That kind of thing. And so those are kind of the, that's how we go through a pen of horses. Are you sound? How old are you? Are you approachable? Can I pick up your feet? Do you lead? Do you take a bridle? That kind of thing. And so once we've picked out a horse that seems to be level-headed, seems to be broke, seems to be sound. Uh, That horse comes back to our facility, which is now in Maslin, Ohio, and they are offloaded at a separate door at our barn, uh, and they go through a decontamination process after they come from the kill pen, and then they remain in a different part of the barn for a period of time to make sure that they are not bringing anything in sickness or illness-wise to the barn. So that the first stage is getting them, picking them out, getting them back, making sure that they are decontaminated and healthy. And then we do an inventory process of their age, their height, they all get dewormed, uh, that kind of thing. And then we check their teeth, decide what we need to do as far as vet, farrier, dental, those kinds of things. And then unless they need an immediate work by a farrier or dentist and they've gone through quarantine, we will start riding them and start to evaluate how their temperament is, what their training is, what kind of job they're going to be best suited for. So um, all of our horses go through a minimum of 30 days evaluation, but I think the average ends up being 60 days that we have most horses and they work through that process and go through training and evaluation and vet and dental and farrier and all of that before they transition into home. So while you're talking about this, Julie, I hadn't thought about asking this question, but I definitely want to ask it now. But how how do you handle that emotionally? Have you had to kind of toughen yourself, or does it take does it still take a toll on you? And if it does, how do you, how do you deal? You never get immune to it. Um, it's definitely very emotionally taxing. I 
I have seen things that I would certainly much, much rather not see as far as horses that are are in pretty bad shape or um, horses that deserve a lot better ending. How do you deal with it? I guess you really have to focus on the ones that you can help. You kind of have to look at what's in front of you and say, yes, this is terrible and this is heart-wrenching and this is hard to see, but I made a difference for this one. So I think it's kind of that starfish story if if you've read it about the boy throwing the starfish in the ocean no i can't save all of them but i made a difference for this one and we made a difference for this one we made a difference for this one so it's really uh, a matter of compartmentalizing it and then focusing on the horses you are able to help do you know the first interview i did this week which it's already recorded i have to edit it and put it out it'll be episode two of this podcast but we both talked about the starfish story so i'm so happy Mm -hmm. that you mentioned that because yeah the starfish story is why don't you tell your version of it because they already heard mine earlier by the time they hear this they'll have heard my version of starfish starfish proverb or parable is that uh there's a young boy walking along the beach throwing the starfish back into the ocean and an old man comes and says why are you doing that you're wasting your time there's hundreds of starfish along this beach you can't possibly save them all and the boy picks one up and throws it into the ocean and says well i made a difference for that one so it's really the approach we kind of have to keep in mind when we go and uh it's it's a very low percentage of the horses that we see i think somebody figured up it was something like three percent that we're able to save so it is sometimes overwhelming to look at it that way so you really have to kind of break it down into smaller pieces and focus on that one in front of you that we were able to make a difference for this one so this will dovetail nicely into this next topic which is how i started a search for a rescue to work with and that was i had seen a horse getting loaded online and um, somewhere in the context was freedom ride and i had during the day um, some of these mare and full needs bailed out before 2 p.m. This draft horse needs bailed out before 2 p.m. And I was thinking about all my people and my challenges and in my business that they're seeing those often too. And it takes an emotional toll because my barn's full. I have a bunch of teenage and older horses that that's all I'm going to have. I know how expensive they get the older they get. I can't mm-hmm. I can't go buy another horse, you know. Yeah. And the bailout thing is is questionable. And so I thought about and I presented it to my group of people and I said, "Hey, Warhorse family, do you, what do you think of we do a very inexpensive ride like of it goes to a memento and shipping and $10 goes to the rescue and we find somebody like you, Julie, that can get a horse in a better way and save Mm -hmm. it and that we could all help and feel like we helped that one horse because truthfully, yes, it is mostly to help that one horse, but I also want to help all these riders that are, I consider family. They're warhorse family. We've been through a lot since the pandemic together, and we would like to get together and save a horse like this together. And I think you have a brilliant way to do that. Can you explain the difference between these bailouts and what you do? I'd love to. I would love to. Um, I I think anybody that has been on social media has seen all of the, they have little emojis with the, you know, SOS and help save him, ships, 
you know, you've seen the deadlines. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they like to throw out there that the mayor is pregnant or it's all a very emotional, knee-jerk kind of approach to this situation. And it's just been exploited. And I, I think that people do want to help. It's hard to know that it's happening. And I think it's hard to know how to help in a way that is not just perpetuating the problem because I think that these online broker dealer type things are just they're right on the edge of a scam and these horses the the long term then comes to my mind of you know we made this emotional post and oh my gosh save him and all of these people rallied these funds which is fantastic for this horse but they were operating out of a good place but what actually happens to that horse so you know we bailed this horse and where is he 30 days you know where's this horse 60 days people make this emotional decision of oh my gosh, I'll get him because I don't want him to go to slaughter. And then that horse comes back and runs them over, bucks them off, goes through their fence, is lame, is has some other chronic health problem that they were not aware of and they're not prepared to deal with. And so if you watch this, you can kind of track the flow of horses that – You know, they'll be in Bastrop, Louisiana one week, and then they're at another sale um, in Tennessee, and then they're somewhere else, and uh, Bowie goes through them, and they go to California, and then it's somewhere else. And so it's just kind of the circuit that these horses ride, and I, I wish I had a statistic to give you of how many of those horses end up in a good home where their placement is secure and it's not the next stop on the road for them. So mm-hmm. I really don't like those programs. It plays on people's goodness. It plays on people's wanting to help these horses, which are all fantastic things. But unfortunately, it ends up getting taken advantage of and being a little bit misdirected. And, and I don't know that it's really in that horse's interest. Yeah. So I know that there's people that have actually gone and got these horses. I'm not saying, and you're, sure. you're not saying that they haven't. Absolutely not. I'm sure that there there have been cases where people have gotten the horse home. It's just what they wanted, or they were able to deal with issues as they came up, and the horse has gotten a great place. And that's fantastic. I just would like to see it done a little differently where people have some more information on the horse, and it's sustainable, and it has the horse's long-term interest at heart, too. There are some, some people could have paid the bail, got the horse. But then there's also this side road stories that I've heard where things did not go well, where the wrong horse showed up, right? Mm -hmm. And then people get this horse that isn't even the same color or sex or anything that the horse that they bought. And then they don't feel like sending this horse that they just met face to face back to the kill pen. So then they end up contacting, say, well, you you gave me the wrong horse. And so they either have Mm -hmm. to send the horse back, right? Or they have to buy the second horse so that also happens i have heard that happening you know more than once but yeah that's the difference between bailing out and working directly with a rescue and Mm -hmm. our people from warhorse they really didn't want to do a bailout and so what i wanted to assure them is working with copper horse crusade it would not be a bailout it would be that horse is between the kill truck and they're after the auction and they're independent there. I think that maybe some of those horses too, but I think what's responsible about it is that, you know, that horse is not just going to be put out onto the public 
and and hope for the best. These horses are all pegged to go to slaughter. They they're one step yes away from shipping to either Canada or Mexico. However, we're still approaching that situation with logic, with some criteria in mind so that there is a next step for those horses. It's not just, well, we saved him. You know, my follow-up to that is, and then what? So Mm -hmm. these horses are all in a bad situation, and it's really a matter of applying logic and reason and resources to the ones that we're most likely to be able to save and then place so that we can continue to go back and do that again. We have covered some of the pitfalls and some of the negative parts of it. So I think we might be ready to hear heartwarming success story that you guys have helped make come true. I think that you could go through dozens and and dozens of horses that we have transitioned into homes. You know, I think we were at about 150 horses last year. Uh, We have horses that are in all different kinds of situations, therapeutic riding, horses that are been certified into mounted patrol type horses and show horses and trail horses and and all of those things in between. And so, you know, we, Monica, I guess if I had to hit on one, I would probably hit on Monica. I'm not sure how she ended up there at the feedlot where she did, but um, she was older, so maybe that but just the sweetest horse, perfect every time you pulled her up. I had her for a while because I liked her and we were taking her to some shows and just kind of demoing her as, you know, this is what ends up in the kill pen sometimes. It's not all lame or blind or broken down or those kind of things. So uh, we had Monica for a while. We took her to some shows and uh, she ended up going to be a little girl's first horse. And Mm -hmm. some of the photos that we get back uh, of Monica and her little girl at uh, shows are just, they're really awesome. But that, that is not a singular story. There are several that I could reach for, but thoroughbreds that we've pulled that have gone on to, there was one, I think it's Amanda that has him. I remember the horse's name, but the horse's name was Romeo. He has gone on to compete in three-day eventing and been down in Kentucky and gone to um, some higher-level things, too. And they've done a really great job, hats off to them, for providing him with some continued training that has gotten him there. But there's some pretty visual photos of me trying him in the aisle at the auction and then him doing some some pretty high-end dressage too so there there are a lot of stories we have a page uh, copper horse crusade alumni and there are a lot of horses that i have come into the pen and they've been one of 20 horses that i've looked at and they've gone through our entire process and then been able to find placement in some really neat homes and different situations i realize that volunteers sometimes have a short shelf life i'm going to go ahead and put this out there running a rescue requires a lot of dedication and you need support from the community and from volunteers and obviously financial support so how could our listeners get involved and help your organization with your mission to continue to rescue and care for horses in need even if they could only volunteer for a year or the summer do you welcome help like that we do have volunteers um yes we're always interested in volunteers and 
Uh, I know you mentioned a shelf life, but we have, I have volunteers that have been with me for over a year. Emily is a VA nurse, an ICU VA nurse, and has Tuesdays off and is there just absolutely faithfully and helps out. So we have some really great volunteers, um, another named Tiffany that comes on Saturdays and is a huge help. So we, we're always glad for volunteers. We've had some that have been with me quite the long running uh, that have been involved with with CHC. Um, I think since moving up here to Maslin from Cambridge, there's a more dense population, so there are more people available within a driving distance to help. So I think that has played a part in the volunteers too. But honestly, I think one of the, the things that would help too is we tried a program for a while called transitional training. Sometimes What's frustrating is looking at a horse in the kill pen, and it's a viable horse. It's sound. It's younger. Uh, there's nothing really wrong with that horse. But knowing the length of time that it's going to take to train that horse mm. is really what disqualifies it from making it to our trailer just because absolutely every request I get is bomb-proof, beginner-safe, husband, kid-friendly, that kind of thing. And mm -hmm. so... When I see a young horse that is three or four or five, it's just going to be really hard to place that horse with most of of the people that are coming to be looking for horses because they all want that bomb-proof trail horse that isn't going to spook at a deer, isn't going to run off, that kind of thing. So transitional training, I think, is something that could be developed more if there was a network of people that could take that horse and say, yes, I commit to six months of getting this horse some more wet saddle pads and some more time, and that would help that horse be in a better position to find a home with most of the people that are coming to me looking. So if you want to volunteer, you know, you're certainly welcome to reach out. We, we have opportunities for that. If you have a spot in six months or three months or some length of time that you could commit to riding and working with a horse, I think that would be great, or um, participating in your fundraiser, that's a good option too. Do you have an Amazon setup of like a wish list where people can buy supplies, you know, and they ship to you? We do. I'm not sure if that link is up on our website. Um, mm -hmm. I have had, speaking of volunteers, Audrey Kidd is in Tennessee and has done my website for over 10 years. And so um, she's kind of my web admin. I could check with her mm -hmm. on whether that link is active or I can certainly post it on Facebook too. Mm -hmm. But yes, things like weight building supplements or hoof supplements or dewormer, those things are all very helpful to, to have come in from Amazon or a tax store, wherever they're coming from. Well, she created a beautiful site for you. That is a really nice, clean, easy-to-navigate website. It is quite nice. I did want to ask you about a question of one of the pictures that comes up through your cycle there. It is a pile of halters on the ground. Can you tell me the story behind that photo? There was, uh, this was years ago, 20, maybe 16, there was a mayor that had a halter and remember I said, when you're looking at a pen full of horses, you really don't have any information on them other than what you can decipher for yourself. Um, but her halter said, my name is Josie. 
And so um, I took that photo, and it really went all over the place. It was shared and shared and shared and shared. And so there was, and she was one of the horses that I thought was probably younger and didn't have enough training to have a really good shot at finding placement um, within you know reasonable amount of time. It was going to take a long-term commitment to get her more training to get her to where she was placeable. Um, and so I left her. And then I posted that photo, and there was such a huge response to it. People were like, I'll take her, I'll train her, I'll, you know, that kind of thing. And, again, I think awareness is huge. But uh, that photo circulated, and so we went back and got her, bought her back off of the kill buyer. And before horses are shipped to slaughter, they take all their halters off. And they also pull their back shoes before they go on the semi. And so there are similar piles of shoes that you can see. But I think that photo uh, was taken by my friend Sarah, who did a lot of photographs for me when when we were able to go there and kind of document things. And uh, if I'm thinking of the photo correctly, it probably has the name that my name is Josie. But it's it's a little reminiscent of, um, you know, just the horses that have all gone all those halters represented a horse that, that was wearing that halter at one point that, that shipped to slaughter. So um, I think that is, that's the meaning behind the photo. And, and kind of if you have a little history on it, it, it makes it more meaningful. What is something that you wish people knew about horse rescue, but they don't? I think that equine welfare is farther behind than dog and cat rescue in that there still seems to be somewhat of a misconception that a rescue horse is less than. There's something wrong with it. It's mm-hmm. damaged goods. The people involved in dog and cat rescue have done a really good job kind of reforming and promoting the rescue dog, that it's almost in vogue to have a rescue dog. It's cool. It That's kind of the thing where, you know, you go back years ago and, oh, it's a mutt. That's really been reformed, and uh, hats off to them for kind of reforming that into, having a rescue dog is cool now versus, oh, you have a mutt instead of a purebred. It's obviously not as good as my purebred dog. So we are behind on that in equine welfare in that I think there's still a stigma attached to a rescue horse that there's something wrong with it. It's obviously damaged goods. There's a reason that no one wanted it, that kind of thing. And so um, I, I'm not saying that there aren't horses that that do fall into that group, but there are so many good horses that I come across that, uh, like dogs, have people problems. These horses have people problems where someone's moving or getting mm-hmm. divorced, or got pregnant, or the kids lost interest and nobody's ridden this horse in two or three years, or um, any of those type of things that that affect horses, dogs too, but especially horses uh, that I see. And, and there's really nothing wrong with a horse other than people failed them. They kind of fell through the cracks. Yes, they need to go through um, a transition time of dental, farrier, vet, riding evaluation before they're really in a place to find a home. But I do think that's probably one thing that I would like to promote, tell people that in equine welfare, these horses are not necessarily less than or damaged or there's something wrong with them. But um, I think continuing to promote these horses that are able to go out there and do things and show and compete, and I, I think that will help change that opinion of them. But 
for right now, we, we seem to be a bit behind the dog and cat rescue in changing people's opinion of, of these horses. You know, I have one story I will try to quickly tell. I used to um, train horses, but mostly give lessons at a stable. And there was a horse out with our horses two and a half years. We never saw this horse that was in with ours. We never saw his owner, didn't know what they looked like or anything. And I was out there all day because I was giving lessons or working horses. And I went into the barn office and there was a woman in there and I've never seen before. And I'm like, hi, can I help you? And she's like, oh yeah, I'm just writing out Prince's board check it's his last one and um I said oh so you're moving him and she goes "Eh, I'm in college I can't afford him anymore we're running him up to the equity auction you know like she was running him to this auction and that was just going to be the end of it and I think Mm -hmm. we had been there two or two and a half years and never saw her ever so he was green broke and I said you know what I said I will buy him I'll buy him because you're not going to get more than that there so I bought him I trained him and he became a lesson horse And then Mm. we sold him. We sold him as a dressage prospect. And then his owner took him into competitive trail riding. I had written his ad for sale kind of funny, like, hi, my name's Prince. This is what I'm looking for. Do you think you meet my standards? Kind of a funny ad. So she wrote me a letter back about a year later and said, hey, this is from Prince. I want to tell you what I'm up to. He was doing competitive trails. So I emailed her and I said, you know, what is that? I don't even know what that is. And and so she sent me to a clinic and that's how I got into distance riding. Prince was perfectly healthy horse, registered and green broke, but my husband was constantly cuddling on this horse. He was a big sweetheart Mm -hmm. and he would have been one of these horses. Definitely a reoccurring, reoccurring thing in, in my line of work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, I see them on Facebook probably every month, maybe every two months or more, where you say, here's these, you know, four horses, my my neighbor or somebody I know died and their family doesn't know what to do with these horses. And, right. Yeah. You know, yep. before the pandemic, I was equine and pet photographer. So I would donate my time at humane societies and whatnot. And until I did that and got to read those reasons cards, you know, they put a reason card up right. here. Right. I had that damaged view. I thought mm, the cats there must pee on the carpet. You know what I mean? Right. I never... Right. I never really considered that, no, they had to move and they can't find any place that'll let them have cats or no, their owner died. Or they, yeah, with horses are expensive too. You know, we lost our job and so I can't pay for this horse anymore. And so, yes, there are, there are lots of reasons that good horses end up in bad places and and those reasons don't necessarily have anything to do with the horse. So I wanted to end this on a lighter note. I wanted to ask you, how did you get into horses? I have just always been into horses. If you talk to my mother, she will tell you that horse was one of my first words, and I had stuffed horses, and I had briar horses, and um, I wanted to watch the parades because there were horses in the, the parades. So, um I I guess I've just kind of been born um, with horses in the blood. My mom always liked horses, but we never really had them until um, I guess I was six, six or seven. Um, we got some horses when we lived in Texas, and so um, that's that's kind of how I got into horses. And uh, I've kind of played around in a lot of different things with them. 
um, worked on some ranches, done some showing, those kind of things. But I really do enjoy going into a pen and seeing a horse that's wearing a green tag and headed to slaughter and being able to go in and step in and, and take that horse out of that situation and watch them find something else is incredibly rewarding um, for me as well as beneficial for the horse too. So I, I do like the equine welfare side of the industry. I am so thankful that you started the Copper Horse Crusade and I'm glad that I found you. I can thank Google for that because I, I was calling a lot of places and either not getting answers back or just seeing some things that I didn't quite like. But you and I had a conversation, I believe, last week, and I just felt really good about your rescue and your reasons and the way you do things. So I hope we can help you a little bit. I know you're doing so much heavy lifting, and I'm hoping that we can start this challenge up soon. And probably how we'll do it is run it for, you know, until we get a certain number and close it and then contact you and, and send you that money. And hopefully we can help you pull one of those horses out. That'd be fantastic. I'm glad you reached out. Hopefully we can kind of promote this model of sustainability and sense and uh, doing the most good for the greatest number of horses in equine welfare and in slaughter-bound horses as well. I believe in synergy and I believe that we can, all of us putting our hearts together towards a good cause, I, I hopefully we can help. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for including me in this. Look forward to hearing from you again. I can't wait to have you back on again with an update. Perfect. Thank you so thank much. You. Bye. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the War Horse Journal. And I wanted to give you an update since I talked to Julie Copper. We actually did send $500 from War Horse Endurance to help her rescue number 809, which she already did have him purchase and she had him already. But when I saw him on the trailer, I asked Julie, I said, can we you know, not really sponsor 809, but can we send $500 in support of 809? So we did, um, 50 Warhorse Endurance riders got together. They all signed up $15 a person and we sent in to Julie to help number 809, who was a standard bred and he's doing quite well. He's a lovely gelding and I believe he was lined up for adoption recently and doing fabulous. So. We might try to do this again because it did work out. If you would like to support Copper Horse Crusade, look them up online, donate directly, or they do have an Amazon wish list. So if you'd like to go on there and maybe buy a supplement or fly spray or something that they need and through Amazon, and then it can just get shipped to them. There are so many ways that you can help out this rescue, including check out their horses on Facebook and share them. If you know somebody in the area that's looking for a, a lovely horse to adopt, you heard her explain how well they check all the horses out. And if you'd like to support War Horse Endurance, we are a business, we're not a nonprofit, but we sure love to cheer each other on. If you'd like to be part of that kind of community, if you'd like to sign up for one of our challenges, whether to support Copper Horse Crusade or to rack up 100 miles and get a medal with your horse, please check out warhorseendurance.com or the Warhorse Endurance Conditioning Challenges on Facebook. So get out there, see some beauty, ride, and enjoy life. <laughs>